0: You know, really it was more not saying, Hey, what you're doing is not good. It's more just saying, Hey, this is where you are currently, painting that picture of what is possible. And then saying, Okay, here's the steps of how we're gonna get there. You know, for him it was it was it was really about balance at the top of the turn. So it was just like, you know, we just looked at video of his skiing, you know, what's what the the best guys are doing. And we just look at how his balance at the top of turn wasn't, you know, he wasn't in a good position to really bend the ski early in the turn. So the pressure was building later in the fall line. And then over that year, some of you may have seen some videos of Ben skiing, you know, one ski arcing turns through rollers with no poles, cross block and slalom gates, um, carbon on the inside, outside ski. And like, you know, if you would have asked me, two months before that is that possible i would have been like yeah but probably not really through the rollers and you know so that's that's a place where you know a coach can bring an athlete and then also at the same time an athlete inspires a coach just to keep pushing that limit farther further forward
1: and did you find that also led to him having a better top of the turn position better balance absolutely That was Sasha Ririck, former US ski team head coach and now director of Apex 2100, an international ski racing academy. Now, in this episode of the Big Picture Skiing podcast, you are going to be lucky enough to learn some of the principles and ways Sasha likes to coach his athletes. And I must say, I'm in such a fortunate position doing these podcast interviews, and someone like Sasha is like a gold mine of information. Some big things to take away from this episode. Constraints-based learning. Constraints-based learning is a big one and Sasha has done some deep research on this, practically tried it out with a lot of athletes and seen some amazing success. And so you're going to learn more about that in this episode. And hopefully if you're a coach or an instructor or even if you are an athlete who likes to work on self-discovery in improving their own skiing, you're going to be able to apply these principles straight away and see some results. That's enough from me. I'm going to turn it over to the rest of the interview. But just before that, please check out Big Picture Skiing. This is where I put all my great ideas, all my lessons, helpful videos, things designed to help improve your skiing. If you're the kind of person who is a self-motivated learner, you're going to find a treasure trove of resources in there to improve your own skiing. All right, let's get started with this latest episode of the Big Picture Skiing podcast interviewing Sasha Rerick is there an example of like maybe someone a story there with with one particular aspect like you said maybe it was someone you needed to just be hard on and maybe up until that point they'd been babied a little bit or, or everyone had sort of said how great they were can you think of that that scenario that person yeah,
0: type I mean, of the person sc- the scenario where you know an athlete is is doing really well. Um, but if, for them to make that next level, they have to understand what is possible. So I would say, you know, an athlete like Ben Ritchie, um, when you go back four or five years ago, when he was on the junior national team and the development team, he was working back and forth between his home club and coming to the national team. You know, he had a lot of coaches that, you know, he was definitely the wonder child at, it. at. at First year, fifth, second year, fifth, and came in with me who, who had that perspective of World Cup of what, you know, what the top level was, you know, really, it was more not saying, hey, what you're doing is not good. It's more just saying, hey, this is where you are currently, painting that picture of what is possible and then saying, OK, here's the steps of how we're going to get there. You know, for him, it was it was it was really about balance at the top of the turn. So it was just like, you know, we just looked at video of his skiing, you know, what's what the the best guys are doing. And we just looked at how his balance at the top of turn wasn't, you know, he wasn't in a good position to really bend the ski early in the turn. So the pressure was building later in the fall line. And then over that year, you know, we developed together a bunch of exercises and things. And he actually showed me new things of what was possible. And it was just by, well, you achieve that challenge. What's the next challenge point? And I think, you know, maybe some of you may have seen some videos of Ben skiing, you know, one ski arcing turns through rollers with no poles, cross block and slalom gates, um, carbon on the inside, outside ski. And like, you know, if you would have asked me two months before that, is that possible? I would have been like, yeah, but probably not really through the rollers. And, you know, so that's that's a place where, you know, a coach can bring an athlete. And then also at the same time, an athlete inspires a coach just to keep pushing that limit farther, farther forward.
1: So with that, how long would have he spent – do you have an idea of how long he practiced that for? And and I'll get to why I, I asked this.
0: Practice what? One ski skiing?
1: Yeah, and then adding – like from, from not being able to kind of do it or not being given that as a challenge to then you saw it.
0: How much yeah, time? I would say it was probably – you know, a combination of 15 days of training, you know, 15 days of training, you know, different things in there, GS training days, free skiing days, but, you know, within 15 days, you know, seeing a really clear progress, um, what was, what needed to be done.
1: And did you find that also led to him having a better top of the turn position, better balance?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. wow. well, we didn't, we didn't go about it by talking about the top of the turn at all. We just went out as, as constraint, you'll, know, you'll know, we'll probably should talk about, you know, my methodology of training Yeah. really mostly sk- is, is, is with constraint-based training where we, we define some constraints, whether they're tasks or whether they're environment or equipment or rules to the game and, and really play with those things to kind of mold the athlete, uh, that you want to create, um, and that's really my style of coaching. It's something that I've really been pushing for the last, I'd say, five six years. You know, I was when I was the head coach of the US Ski Team. I didn't get to get down and dirty and coach a lot of kids on a regular basis. Progression, and I'd come in, you know, say what I thought, give the coaches feedback, and boom, I'd fly off to another group. And and so going back into development, back into working with kids, I really kind of looked at my coaching and went like, okay, where how can I be the most effective? And I went back and I really studied. I went back and looked at the latest science of, of you know. Of learning performance learning and going okay how did you this and it really came back to you know constraint-based task-based training and then using that to to mold and develop uh, athletes so that they can express themselves in their own way
1: yes Um,
0: and and you know ben richie's a very tall uh super athletic skier doesn't tend to ski that way right now you know so it's something that i'd love to be able to work with them again and be like hey dude let's go let's go back and do some of this athletic stuff okay um, so
1: hey but- on the constraints based thing because uh, uh, similar i went down that path of what are other sports doing to develop skills in in athletes and so i sort of found a lot of that research as well can you can you talk to some examples in the ski world of an environmental constraint an equipment one and maybe a, a, another rule like game to kind of, and it, it maybe, it maybe start off with what's, what is constraints based learning?
0: Yeah. Constraints based learning. It's actually, you know, probably it started um, in Quebec by some professors in Quebec back in the seventies. Um, and, and what they're basically you're looking at is, is put an environment in place and let the athletes find their own solutions and, um, and because of the environment, the athlete is going to find their unique solutions, Um to simply say. I'll give you some examples. Um So, you know, I think one thing that people you're starting to see a lot more is is, is a straight picket fence of about a meter and a half apart, straight down the fall line. That kind of constrained environment. In ski racing, you go, why would you do that in ski racing? You know, the minimum distance is four meters. Usually it's five meters. You're setting a meter, a meter and a half apart. Why? And th- that environment, all of a sudden, you can constrain the athlete and you can change tempo. So you can make him go faster or slower. You can give them a clear task. I want you to pull plant every single time, every single turn. Or I don't want you to pull plant. I want you to speed the tempo up. I want you to slow the tempo down. I want you to, you know, I can use that environment with another environment of the ski pole. I can put the ski pole right on the hips and I would go, okay, the hips don't move, but make it through it. And what are they going to do? They're going to internally, externally rotate their feet. They're going to steer their feet. They're going to learn to steer their feet without ever telling them how to do it by holding the hips, putting them in that environment. All of a sudden I'm teaching the kids to steer, which ski racers are typically really, really bad at. They chuck their feet, they carve or chuck. And all of a sudden now they're steering and they're keeping everybody stable. And I didn't. Asked him or explain anything. I just said, give him this. I start out slow, speed it up. So that would be an example of a very simple constraint. The mountain you grow up on is a constraint. So if you look at the skiers from Squaw Valley, you know, the, 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 the great coaches from Squaw Valley, they say the head coach has been the main lift there. Uh, KT22, KT20, that what, 22, 21. And he goes, that's, that's been their environment that they've grown up in. And you watch any athlete from Squaw Valley. Then they don't have a top of the turn, but they chuck it down any mountain they go down because they know how to ski in the, and the environment that steep shoots, trees, big, huge, giant boulders, body bumps, um, cause them how to move. Them. Yeah. It doesn't intimidate them and they learn to be athletic through that environment. So that, you know, the mountain can be your constraint. Um, so that those are examples, some equipment constraints that I'll do. I'll ski, uh, uh, slalom uh, with super G. I'm sorry, slalom with super G skis or GS with super G skis a lot. I'll do that one a lot. And what are we doing? All I'm trying to do is just make it so the ski doesn't turn. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to get the athletes to move forward and back so they learn to use the tip and tail. Without explaining how to do it, I just put them on super G skis, give them the same course, give them the same set radius as I got to do. All right, go carve the turns. And they'll struggle. They'll fall down. they'll they'll, they'll miss gates. Just keep working on it. And then all of a sudden, the the equipment constrains them to move in a certain way that I deem that I want them to see them move in a better way. Um, you can you know do it on cross-country skis, go go alpine ski on cross-country skis, you know, just just making slalom turns like short swing slalom turns on cross-country skis. You want to be balanced. I mean, that's a balanced athlete. They can do it on cross-country skis uh you know telemark is is fantastic for learning how to make a proper super g turn so those are those are equipment constraints game constraints.
1: can i ask why why telemark for helping make a good super g turn
0: um it puts you in a really good stable position
1: is it more to do with the stance
0: stance? than the free You're, 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 you're you're on your outside ski but you're not dumped your hip in you can't dump your hip
1: you, you're, you're a lot squarer
0: you're square to, to your the skis, skis. your your hips are over your feet um you know you're not you're not hip angulating too early C-
1: can oh. i just uh deviate here because i'm not sure if you knew i was a telemarker before i was an alpine skier i grew up cross-country skiing and, and not even in like groomed trails my parents we would go backcountry leather boots and that sort of stuff anyway when i got into our telemark skiing i made it to the 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 demo team in australia and i was the only telemarker and i was put in the group of alpine skiers we're doing formation stuff and i have to try and match these other high high high-end uh ski turns that they're making which which was great so there's there's that that example in there but i really struggled for a long time with knowing how much like like separation counter hip position and and i think you kind of have to in the telly turn i think some people are over rotated they're not square but but i found that a really fascinating journey and i'd say the latest breakthrough in my own skiing has just been about really finding when i want that ski to take off and just rip from tip to tail stand in that square position which reminds me back of like where i felt i was telly skiing so that's what you're you're saying is a great tool
0: And there you can see just in that, just we can unpack that little, you know, what you're feeling, where's your hip, where's your, what's your angle. And we get ourselves so confused. And I think, you know, probably North America, especially Canada and US, we're lost in terms of what is hip angulation, what is upper and lower body separation, what does that really mean? I mean, I think we could, we could have a whole podcast just about that. Um, but I, I, I now moving back to Europe and just watching little kids progress, watching athletes who progress, who don't progress. I think that's a, that's a major topic. Um, but to go back to the constraint, you know, like you're teleskiing and you're trying to keep the same rhythm and tempo as an Alpine skier. That's a gamification. That would be a way to play the game. Um, you know, the games are follow me, have to react to whatever I'm doing, you know, Left, right, yeah. go down, cat and mouse games with little kids, um, gamification, you know, just, you know, all of a sudden going, all right, let's 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 carve turns backwards. Let's skate backwards. Let's have a skating race backwards. Skate forwards, skate on the side hill. You know, all those type of things, those games, all of a sudden, you know, skating to me is, is an unbelievable independent feat or, or weight transfer, active weight transfer. So do it forwards, do it backwards, do it sideways. Um, so the
1: coach really has to be in charge of the, the rules there, right? That becomes a really critical part because you've got this constraint. And per se- like say it's the, the terrain, you don't need to do too much there. But but like you mentioned with like the poles on the hips, those sorts of things, even given a drill, if the coach doesn't clearly explain kind of the rules, like, okay, you know what I mean by pot, like your poles have to be touching both the left and the right hip joint you, you're like not allowed to you put in those rules and then and then give them feedback no you broke the rule keep trying but you broke the you didn't feel it you, mm-hmm. like that's that's the the coach's role
0: so that's that's that, that comes really back to this whole you know why you know some people are like constraint based. it's not fun you're constraining people and in, in the end it's actually what i've seen is athletes love it because you let them be freer and then you clearly give them the you know here's the Success If you do this well, this is what it's going to do or feel like. So they struggle, they struggle, they struggle, and when they achieve that, they know it. So all of a sudden, they get a, you know an endorphin release. They get a, a you know a release of chemicals. They feel a high, and they're like, okay, what's the next struggle? I want to go struggle through it and get a high. And you can let them go. And and to me, what I've seen is when you have multiple environments and and you create these envi- in these sessions where there's really a variety of environments. Yes, at the end of the session, they don't feel like they're skiing that much better. But their learning of how to be athletic on skis is through the roof. And that learning, you come back, you know, two weeks from now, three weeks from now, six months from now, is there. And that learning is is the freedom of what they call degrees of freedom, of movement. So, you know, like if a traditional instruction is move this way, your elbow is here, your hip is here, that type of, you know, pedagogic approach which is what most sport is leads to less degrees of freedom of movement so yes it looks good but when you put pressure on you a competition uh you know you got to keep up with your buddy on a powder day and you can't see anything um that that pressure all of a sudden that method of learning falls apart yes so that's why i've gone you know, really towards this method of you know constraint-based uh, learning. I still use I still use pedagogic progression in certain situations, and that I'll use when something is completely new to somebody.
1: And if you if you could go back in time to like U.S. Ski Team, you've just been given the role there. You'd pro- what would you do it different? Would you do it different? Would you would you try and implement more of this stuff?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, so like, I mean, I'll give the example of Ted Ligety. Um, yeah, I worked with Ted as a junior on the development team, Europa Cup team, and then we went to the World Cup together. Um, you know, we had this idea of how to ski and it, you know, it was, it, we, it was really a lot of things that he was pushing and I was giving him feedback. Yes, that works. And especially in slalom. If you go back, I mean, Ted was a fast slalom skier. He was on the podium in slalom. And we had this idea of what a you know a fast turn was like, and it was very like here's what you do at this part of the turn, here's what you do at this part of the turn, here's what you do at this, part. and that led to a very fast turn for 12 meters long.
1: Uh huh.
0: And then as soon as you know someone out there in the world decided that slalom was no longer going to be 12 meters, it was going to be 10 meters. All of a sudden, that rhythm, that that pattern that we had, you know, technical the pattern, the that-
1: space you had, kind of to. To do it he in. didn't
0: work in slalom. You, mm-hmm. you couldn't do it. You, it didn't. It didn't happen. But what it did was it translated very well to GS. Got it. So, like all of a sudden, you know, it's a lot of the success he had in GS and the way he described his turn is a lot comes from slalom. What he was doing when slalom was twelve mirrors back in two thousand, you know, four, five, six, that era. So that let me, and then we then had okay, well, you know, Ted's winning. Everybody, this is the technique. This is the way you go to ski. And we took then Tim Jitloff, who was a completely different style of skier. And we tried to teach him like Ted. And he just got worse and worse and worse. And it was only once we said, okay, no, 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 let's go a different way. that it Was he able to come back and, and actually progress in and, and get some top fives? But, you know, a technique, a, a style of skiing leads for someone in a certain environment. So, you know, 12-meter or 26-meter turn GS. <laughs> lined up great with Ted. Once it went to 35 meter skis, it lined up even better, you know. And then there was like, okay, well, he's not adjusting to, to rhythm changes. So of course, co- coaches started to set different rhythm changes. Well, that was we practiced that, but you know, a certain style. <laughs> then when it went back to 20, 30 meter skis, horses became way straighter. And the speed became way faster, and the arc had to become way shorter because it was not necessarily who was cleanest on the ski. It was who was traveling less distance while still putting the pressure on the fall line. And that was mm-hmm. a different style of skiing, much more force, much more, um, you know, courage to keep the skis going straight down, very different. And all of a sudden, Marcel Hirscher started to be able to really, you know, separate himself out. And now you look at what Odermatt is doing. I mean, Odermatt is going so straight and clean. And put the pressure on the fall line, and he's got his own style. But yeah, you
1: know, do do you know anything about his training background? If he if he approached things differently, a bit like how uh, uh, Ben, you were just giving an example, how you know, clean up the top of the turn, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna build these challenges, constrain myself, one ski rollers, no poles, to like develop better balance. Do you know if Odamat had anything I, I, special I, I, I going
0: on? I, I know he had some really good coaches when he was coming through the junior programs. So as, you know, last year, the U 16s and then going into, into first and second, third year, fifths, you know, that, that period of time, he had some really good experience coaches. Um, you know, when you watch him ski now, he's got his fundamentals are, are, are very good. He's, is, he's, he's in balance. He's got lower and upper body separation at the appropriate time. Um, So his upper body is stable. He's got yeah. an active weight transfer. You know, those fundamentals are, are ingrained, and in he's able to do that no matter what, every single turn. Um And I think, you know, that, and hes I think he's physically, and he's got this characteristic that he loves to race. So I think he's got a combination of things. He's not just a great ski racer, but he's also, he's a tremendous competitor. And, and I think he takes yeah. great joy in competing. Of, yeah. you know what his methodology has been. And I haven't been around that mm-hmm. for me to study and figure out.
1: <laughs> I, was, I was just thinking, I just had a thought there on the the constraints based thing, because now I, I don't really coach much in the flesh with people. It's through video content. That's, that's a constraint that has been, I've sort of put on myself to try and do everything I can, but without actually being there with the person. and And I can say it's, when because uh, I did three like two day camps this winter in Australia and the snow is terrible this year I'm it's, it's been so tricky just El Nino this sort of stuff anyway I've really found it's helped because of the constraints of not having you know on a video I got a short amount of time I got to show a lot of stuff I've kind of got to give the parameters and then ho- hope that those parameters get the person going in the right track and that on snow was like really cool but just yeah just didn't realize i'd, I'd put that on myself that it, that's helped my own coaching to be developed so it, it's, it's just you know i mean you're probably doing this all your life at different times but what you've discovered sort of in the last six years is more this framework and this kind of concept of it that you can always like think about your day around am i doing you know the things that make this constraints-based learning work
0: yeah And I think and I think that's you know what one of the things I've done is I've I've kind of made just a simple chart of it. And and you where you can change the constraint, the environment, the task, but then at the same time you can change the variability so that there's more randomness and there's more variability that the athlete has to adapt. And you know, people are you know, people are trying to disprove the science on this now and they're trying to say no pedagogic way, you know. Uh, uh, is that so
1: people are trying to oh yeah
0: yeah you know block practice and saying block practice is more effective and and I'm going to come back and say you know if you are challenging an individual at the appropriate level just above their current threshold of where they are that's where you're going to make the most progress whether you're doing it in traditional pedagogy or if you're doing it in uh, constraint based task based type training And I think that that's the key is, is giving the person you're working with, whether it's an athlete you're coaching or a student you're, you're, you're instructing is, is seeing where that person is and going, okay, where can I take this person and just getting to step through that next level of, of comfort zone, get them out of the comfort zone, let them have some success there so that they know when they're doing it right and wrong. And if you do that often enough, you can set the governor up, um, so to me, that's whether you're, you know, teaching in a classroom, you're teaching on the, on the hill. That to me has been the, you know, where I, where I see the, the magic coaches that really progress a lot of athletes. That's where they are. You know, I yeah. you see a lot of coaches working, working, working and they, um, you don't see the athletes progressing that much. And it's typically they're just, you know, they got their idea of here's the progression, and they're not it's not matching them up with the athlete. The athlete's either bored out of their mind or it's way too far over over their head. Or or maybe it's the right stuff. It's just the athlete doesn't understand what the task is. You see that a lot of times.
1: Yeah. So now I wanna I wanna you mentioned something before about North America, Canada, hip position, angulation. Let's get in there. Come on, give Give us your thoughts <laughs> <laughs> because I think this is a fascinating topic. Uh, I yeah. Let, let's
0: give let's. This thoughts. is how this is how I define it, <laughs> and and this is good practice for me. So when I screw it up, don't don't be afraid to pick me at it. Is your pelvis is the center? Okay, your your pelvis. Below your pelvis, you get your femur and your your legs and your ankles. So lower leg engagement. You know, when you look at high level skiers, they all ski with lower leg engagement. And lower leg engagement is is the ankles pronated a little bit. There's ankle flexion. There's internal femur rotation. The knee is driving forward and in. Um That's that's in you watch a little kid that doesn't ski very well. The thing's wobbling all over the place, you know. And you watch a a, a U16 pretty good skier. It's not as engaged as it should be, or it's engaged too late in the turn. Okay, so that's lower leg engagement. But typically, so we got internal femur rotation, external femur rotation. So, it's, But the pelvis is, is, is different. And then above the pelvis, you have the, the upper body, the spine and, and the shoulders and everything else. Now, that can do a different motion than the lower body. And I think where everybody gets confused is that the hip is not the central movement, the hip stays kind of neutral, and it's really. The lower body's doing something, and the upper body's doing something. And yes, on an extreme GS turn or a really powerful GS turn, you're going to get hip angulation. Now let's let's
1: clarify because this thing. bit the I, I the the hip, the hip that word the hip. Elvis, let's
0: just call it. Okay,
1: yeah, okay, good because that's I can remember being like a fresh level four instructor. I'm like I know lots of stuff, and I actually still this is before I studied any body stuff. I was like, so what's the difference between like the hip? And the pelvis. Like, if someone's talking about hip rotation, you know, like hip rotation, I'm like, is that the leg turning? Or is that the the pelvis turning? Because you talk to a physio, and hip rotation is the leg internally rot. and then someone saying, no, that's pelvis. Anyway, so well, when just, you say the hip,
0: hip angulation, that's a word that's used out there. Hip angulation is is you create angle between the upper body and lower body in the in the lateral in the lateral plane. Okay, upper and lower body separation. Is the legs are turning one way. So the internal femur rotation, external femuration, the, the legs are turning one way and the upper body is doing something the opposite. Yep. Okay. Now you can do that and still have your pelvis somewhat square to your skis.
1: Because you can, you can, uh, I remember hearing the guy when, when I chatted with Norwegian, former Norwegian coach, he was talking about thoracic spine separation and rotation and seeing that he sees that as a, a really key area because then you can keep the pelvis square in a strong position and then so when people are separating it's it's actually just through the through the rib cage
0: yeah it's the upper body i'm keeping it even yeah. simpler it's just you know your, upper your, the, body. The, the, bib, the bib the bib of your your bib the zipper of your jacket is facing the outside yes you
1: know, like, but that doesn't necessarily mean your pelvis Right, has to face the outside and and and
0: yeah so then so then so we understand hip angulation we understand upper and lower body separation we understand what lower leg engagement is how the, the femurs can rotate internally externally and then you have to understand that the pelvis can rotate or can counter and depending on the situation you may want more of one or the other And this is where that degrees of freedom is like let the athlete express themselves in different ways. If you're doing glide turns, and you're all of a sudden counter the pelvis, you're going to be slow as shit. But if you rotate the pelvis in a slalom turn on steep injected slalom, you're you're not going to make it down. So there's a place for everything. You're skiing a steep couloir. Yes, you're going to have you're going to counter the hip, the pelvis to really stay, you know, over that outside ski. So there's this degrees of freedom of that motion that I think we have to understand now in ski racing. And what happens is, is when all of a sudden people start to coach a lot of hip angulation and I've made this mistake for years, I had drills that were angles. What happens is, is they start to think that's how you make the turn. They create hip angulation and they create hip angulation too early in the turn. And that's 99% of ski racers Create hip bands too early in the turn. So all of a sudden, they are out of bounds at the top of the turn.
1: Back to Ben. Is this what you were saying? Or something different?
0: He a little bit, but that was not as big as issues. He was just pushing the feet out. So his upper body, he was like, instead of inclinating, building a platform and inclinating. Which I wouldn't I don't I don't use the word incliné because that gets people confused. But if we're really biomechanical to look at it, there is that. Yep. But he was just he was just putting the feet out there. And I was just trying to get his upper body to match up and cover his outside ski. So that's something like the French use that term a lot is they say cover the outside ski. Oh. Okay. And it's a really nice way to, you know, take something outside of the body and go, okay, cover the outside ski. So what are you doing? I'm bringing that thoracic spine over my yep. outside ski with separation Yeah, you know, that's basically i didn't use those terms because i didn't i hadn't heard that <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: yeah but yeah
0: that's what we were trying to do we were saying get to the outside get over the outside
1: there is a problem though that there's a, there's not a clear sort of lexicon like verbiage to, to these things right so so back to your your comment around, and maybe an athlete's not developing because they just don't understand when a coach is telling them do this with their upper body. Maybe they're they're moving their pelvis with the rib cage instead of the the, the coach meaning just turn your rib cage.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So is this, and this, is, this, this is this is this is pandemic across. Um, I would say a lot of coaches. A lot of coaches around the world and i and i and i and i see it you know i see it i'm just you know i see it myself and the mistakes i've made and, and kind of clarifying it you know angulation hip angulation in in france is not a good thing if you say oh you're skiing with a lot of angulation the athlete's like oh god that's not good in america it's like yeah i got a lot of hip angulation ripping man and so yes it's a very very different culture and you know yes hip angulation if you're trying to pull radius Big GS turn, you know, that works. It works. Yeah. If you're yep. trying to pull the GS race. But if you're trying to now adapt that to a long Super G turn or rhythm changes or terrain, it's much harder.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's why when I was like t- the first guy that drew me a skiing skeleton, it, it, it looks like almost like a right angle at the hip. And then, and then now this one, just yep. really really subtle you know just what's yeah. sort of uh it's, needed yeah.
0: there we need it otherwise you're, you're out of balance how, how do model, you how- a lot of, a lot, if you look at Odomat, otomat's got up he's got that thoracic spine like you know the moment of impulse to release that's you know three ski lengths so we're talking five and a half six meters of distance in the turn if you stop his frame left foot turn right foot turn His upper body is always, thoracic spine is always covering that outside ski, every turn.
1: If you're serious about stepping up your skiing skills, listen up. I've been working closely with the Carve team for over four years, and they've just unveiled a groundbreaking feature, Active Coaching Mode. And here's the lowdown. Launch it at the top of your run and go through a quick calibration with 10 turns, and it sets a baseline just below your current skill level. From there, every turn is a challenge, adapting on the fly to your skill, terrain and conditions. No fluff, just a gamified experience pushing you to ski better every turn. It does this by using a super thin insole lined with small pressure sensors and motion detectors. It's like having a personal coach analysing your every move. And here's the sweet part. If you hit a hot streak with excellent form and you're in for double or triple points, It's addictive, rewarding. Like I said, it's a very gamified experience and it transforms every run into a step towards better skiing. If you're intrigued, and you should be, check out Carve and dive into active coaching mode. Just Google Get Carve to find out more and as a bonus, enter code GELLY15 to take 15% off. It's amazing. I've heard from the Carve team that now nearly over a third of the users are using active coaching mode when they go out and ski with it. So why not give it a try yourself?
0: But his pelvis so do, is up over his feet.
1: How do you think you can help change this across coaches, instructors? Because even it starts with instructors too, because kids come in thinking, oh, I'm just going to do an all-mountain program or get a lot of lessons and they or private lessons, and they get a, an instructor who's maybe thinking they're doing the right thing. Because no one's making mistakes for trying to ruin people. They're just teaching what they think they, what is right. Yeah. So how, how does that, how does it get changed?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think first it's just, you know, kind of clarifying, you know, if we, if we all understood what we were talking about. So if we can get a clear definitions of, you know, this is what this is, this is what this is. Um, uh, I think that is good. Um, I think if we coach, more in the sense of, you know, an athletic stance. Like, are you athletic? And, and, and the way I, I, I define a, a balanced athletic stance is can the athlete move in any way he or she wants to at any moment? So top of the turn, if we stop it, can you move left? Can you go? Can you release the edge? Can you build edge? Can you go to the inside ski? Can you go to the outside ski? You're doing the build. Simple time? as that. To Simple as that. So I, yeah. you know. That that to me is just you know. Can are you are you in balance? And if you're not, then we have this verbiage to talk about. Okay, you're not because your hip is rotated, or your hip is countered, or you've created hip angulation in that lateral plane too early.
1: Yep, you're not engaging your ankle wherever it is in the body.
0: Exactly. Wherever
1: it is, you start building athleticism.
0: So so if we first these kind of just basic terminology. Um, and then we try to teach more in terms of tasks and environments.
1: One thing we, that I've in, we, enjoyed. We allow, oh, so you finish. Gonna,
0: yeah, yeah. We we allow athletes to 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 learn to express themselves in in different ways. And this is one thing that like I see the ability of you know an athlete yeah I, I see the mountain biking. You know For example, in France, I mean, they are phenomenal downhill mountain bikers in France, technically correct. And they have this way of teaching it, like the proper technique of it. But the average person mountain biking in France goes two miles an hour. Where in America, it's the opposite, like the very top end doesn't really have, they're not that great because they're probably lacking some technique. But the average Joe is going, you know, hauling ass, having fun, expressing themselves. So there's this kind of balance and, and skiing is the same. And that's, that's what I'm trying to, I'm trying to work through is, is, is going, how do you take some of the good of here and some of the great of here and some of the bad of here, eliminate that, some of the bad of here and put together and, and create a, you know, a, a model that, a teaching model that. um that allows athletes to continue to progress for the rest of their life.
1: Yes, yeah, it's a it's a it would be a really big, really big undertaking to try and have something that is. I mean, just even North America, perhaps you know, like a a site or something that is like this is this has been agreed upon between PSIA, CSIA, the coaching associations, all that. That that when we when we mention this word. This is the definition, and then you could just give it to instructors, athletes. Check it out. This is what we mean. Just yeah, when we're we're not speaking French to you, we're speaking English. This is the the same thing. Yeah. Um so this season I really enjoyed back to your comment about athleticism and the snow being pretty bad. It's like try and use it as a as an advantage to work on your stance, is what I'm thinking. And a mentor mentioned how important it is to, to stay athletic, like, within inside your ski shells. doesn't matter that you're in there. you It's just an environment that you are still athletic within or on top of. And I think I found, personally, anecdotally, this, this season, when I talked to people, too many people, when they're in the ski boot, their athleticism is blocked because they stand very much on the heel like flat-footed almost uh and and that's no, no one stands like that in any other kind of sport like if you stand like that on a on a set of bike pedals you're soon going to find out how that doesn't go very well down down a hill if you stand like that trying to receive a tennis serve all sorts of things thoughts on that because it's hard to see when you when you're locked in a ski boot you cannot see unless you kind of train your eye to it like how someone is actually balancing and using their feet.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think equipment. Um, this is probably over aggressive for what it's meant to do. Um, you know, I think first and foremost, you have to, you know, if you want to ski athletic, the foot needs to pronate a little bit. So, you know, these, these, these footbeds that are really stiff arch you know, puts you in a, in a, in a, in a supported manner. Um, you, you, you take away your, your basic fundamental motor pattern right away. I mean, every step you make walking, you go from supinated to pronated. And pronated is where your power of the turn, power of your foot comes. So, I mean, to me, that's, that's number one. So I, that's where I start. I, you know, I, I watch someone skiing if they're skiing if they're in, if their lower legs engaged, I don't worry about it, but if their lower legs are not engaged i that's the first place I start. I just look at the footbed. I look at like how the foot fits in the boot, so if it's too big or too small I think that's that's probably the, the 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 biggest shock I've seen is people are like, "Oh no, I want my foot to be big so I can move, but then it's rubbing, it's sliding it's got extra plastic. You want the boot to fit right not to, i I probably make the mistake of putting them too tight. That's probably the mistake I make most of the time. And, um, you know, but I, I, I watched these kids that got bone spurs and they got bone spurs because they're in boots that were too big. Yeah. Also, rubbing. Rubbing. Yep. Um, so, I mean, I think that's, that's something that's, you know, important to, to get right. And then, um, just making sure the boots not candid too aggressively or it's too stiff. And, you know, those are the, know can it out aggressiveness and there's a few people that need it some people need it but you know
1: maybe yeah the leg bit. shape
0: yeah the leg shape there's, there's some people that need it but not you know not the most like, people half degrees you know so I, I see people come in with you know one's zero and the other one's two and a half degrees and keep it you know half degrees inside out maybe a little bit the cuff um so I, i'd start there and then second is just you know making sure that the boots uh, that they understand how to how to how to move through the ankle. So you know, I start out with bunny hops all the time, even with great athletes. You know, bunny hops standing down the hill. Um, if they can't move at all, undo the boots a little bit. Uh, bunny hops. Then I do uh, side side edge sets, edge sets, you know, traditional ski instructor edge sets. Yeah. Um, and learning to edge set just from the ankle knee. So it's just internal femur rotation. And then you make it crisp and then you can make it, the, you can just change the constraints, you know, change where the poles are, change where the ski is, the inside ski, do it on the outside ski. Um, but you know, that, that to me is that, that kind of that chunk. Is, it, let's look at that chunk. Like, are they able to engage correctly the edge from the ankle knee without it affecting the pelvis? Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah. Well,
1: how do you? how did what what boots are you in at the moment you and do you enjoy them
0: dude i i ski (laughs) and a a 10 year old i have about three pair of them still i rotate through uh i can't see the brand because i'm not sponsored by
1: them (laughs) okay but you found what works it's it's,
0: it's an old it's an old old mountaineering boot that's heavy um and the reason i can ski in is because my foot it holds my foot and it's soft as hell, um, and that's my skiing. And I and I get into a regular, you know, you put me into a plug boot now, and I'm I'm like you're talking about stiff backwards, <laughs> arching my back, and I can't find I can't find the edge. So,
1: yeah, that like ability to just flex your ankle just becomes so key. And I say that because like a couple of times in this camp, I was I got people we skied one run in the entire day with boots done up the rest of it boots were loose and people were kind of complaining in the beginning "Ah," but then they all because the snow is terrible they all skied way better in it because their ankle could move through the bumpiness and yeah i just i just i I see i saw it today with an online client today boots don't allow enough forward flexion they're trying to crank them up thinking like the more lack of control they have the tighter they go and and the situation gets even worse and you just said it like you you put your you put your plug boots on, and suddenly oh, <laughs> all this, yeah, I gotta, this weird I, I gotta, stuff happens. I, I,
0: I gotta go ski for two days by myself and hide on the backside. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I think yeah, I think I think being on soft boot, and then something that you know, when you all of a sudden have a boot that's too soft, you know. it. Yeah. I mean, you're yeah. turns, and you're you're overpowered and you. And you you can't power the ski up to do what it wants to do. Yeah, that's when you go. Okay, I need a stiffer boot. But until that point, you know, get a boot that fits right, that flexes smooth.
1: Yeah, yeah. So do you do you enjoy going out? Are you, do you do work on your own skiing, or do you not really get time to even think about it because
0: oh. if that? You don't. No, I don't work on my own skiing. So okay. what, one of the, out of all the research I did was one of the things I read and I took it to heart was like demonstration is actually bad because in the, in the theory on this and the science on it is that you actually, by demonstrating, you are actually showing the athlete what they're supposed to do instead of the task. And I went, Oh, that's me. That's good. I'm out.
1: <laughs> there's your excuse.
0: <laughs> yeah. So every once in a while I'll demo because, you know, I, I don't, I don't explain the drill correctly. So I'll demo it. Um, to give an idea on it. Uh, But, you know, I've I've got a a series of drills I run. I, I, you know, I go out and practice those a little bit. Um, and those drills, they're really, they're just tasks. They're just constraint tasks. So what are they? uh, So give us them. Yeah. The first one is reverse bicycle. Um, and this is cool story. I, it was during this time when Ted was, was uh, coming up and all of a sudden, I was like, man, you're ripping in, in GS right now. I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive. What does it feel like? And we're going up the chair, up and he goes, it feels like I'm, I'm pedaling a bike backwards, skating forwards all at the same time. And I'm just like, huh? And it took me three weeks to unpack that one. But through the turn, it's like he's pedaling backwards. And then he's pushing forward skating. Um... So I unpacked that and I took the chunks of it, chunked it all apart. And you know, the, the first drill of that is, is the reverse bicycle. And what you do is you pick up the tip of the outside ski at the bottom of the turn. And you leave the tail in the snow. And when you're good at it, you can actually bend the tail. So you're teaching someone to move through the turn. So that's that's kind of the first one. I'll do a lot of skating, forward skating, backwards skating. Um,
1: how good I back? To... I found I, I've more recently come across like backwards skating. That's a good one, isn't it? I I really I really like that. For yeah, just fe- to... a certain so, feeling. You want,
0: someone, you want to teach someone to to, ski, uh, to to press against the front of the boot, have them do wedge turns backwards. Yeah. All of a sudden they're like, "Oh, I feel the front of the boot now." So that's you know if you're trying to you know that's that's how you can do it now. But just skating is to Sk- me, yeah. You know, I just watch, you, you go to the ski club and you work with, you know, the, the U12s, U10s, and you can just start from the clubhouse and say, okay, skate race to the lift. The kid who makes it there, the third place, the second, the fifth place, is the same in the race. It's, you know, especially young kids. Um, so to me, skating. And, uh, and on
1: skating, do you tip? would you you'd use like the bunny slope or just the flat area at the bottom of the mountains? Lots of skate, like, Set courses like obstacle course, like cross country skiing, kind of basically on your in your alpine gear.
0: Whatever you you know, like I always say, like okay, when you get off the lift, to the moment you get on the lift, like use every inch of snowflakes you got, you know. So you know they they know when they see me after a couple of days of skiing they should be skating hard if it's flat.
1: <laughs> awesome, <I laughs> yeah. Love yeah. It.
0: But you you know some you know one of the things I learned from Randy Pelkey, who was the downhill coach for the US team for a long long time. I'm um, a skate downhill, you know, skate four or five skates downhill, stop, do it again, stop, do it again. That projects yourself forward, you know. Um, so, I mean, reverse bicycle. Then I got a, a drill that I learned from Andy Avers. Andy Avers was a phenomenal coach from Austria. It was Benny Reichs and Herman Myers coach and he came and worked in the States. Learned a lot from him. And he's got this drill, which is it's pretty hard to describe on on, on, a, on a podcast, but it's basically. You're you're driving your outside arm all the way into the apex, and then right at the apex you switch your arms very dramatically, and the arms are forward. Yeah. So one arm's on the head. What's the tip? towards the tip. So you're driving towards the tip, towards it all the way in the apex, and then switch your hands dramatically. Um And then I'll combine that with the reverse bicycle. Um, cool. So I mean, you just you know those are those are those are kind of my go-to, and then one one ski. A lot of one ski so you know there's not a lot of talking whether you're doing the task right or not and then i can just change the timing the rhythm the tempo the steepness do it carving not carving long radius gs radius um and all i'm trying to do is get kids to dance on skis yeah and they're like oh this is the funky disco and i go yeah now you're athletic now you stop thinking about this technical stuff and you're just being free
1: yeah now a lot of people that listen to this podcast are not athletes they're not kids as well. They're probably more, you know, probably, yeah, between 40 and, and older. This stuff applies to them, and this is my personal opinion. I don't see those people are out there doing this kind of stuff enough. I mean, sure, go and enjoy your enjoy skiing, but the people that want to get better, they don't seem to take this approach. A lot, A lot of them really like to think about it but a lot, but most of them don't do it or put themselves out of their comfort zone, do funky dancing kind of, you know, yeah. constraints take poles away for, you know, yeah. Your opinion on this, the general public.
0: Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, where we go back to a coach, what's a coach job is a coach is to take them somewhere where they are to someplace where they, they don't know they can get there by themselves. And, you know, so <laughs> You know, I think, you know, what you're trying to do online is, is really cool. Um, how do you do it? How do you, how do you scale, you know, teaching? And, um, it's not easy. Um, but, you know, trying to bring, so I think inspiring people to try different drills and, and, you know, for me, even people in their, in their seventies, you know, they can skate, they can skate on the skis. They can skate with their, you know, just their poles or without their poles, um, they can, they can ski with their poles on their hips. Uh, they can think the task. All right. I'm going to keep the zipper of my jacket facing straight down the hill. You know, or I'm going to have that zipper over the outside at the middle of the turn, or, you know, at the bottom of the turn, I'm going to pick up the tip of my outside ski and that's going to make me transfer my weight. Um, so I think those are, those are simple tasks that, you know, I've gone out there and, and had some, you know, retired people in my coaches clinics and, and they're out there doing it and loving it. And so I think those are things you can do.
1: Yeah. I guess that maybe my point is I should have prefaced that with, yeah, even seeing some uh, from afar instructors, coaches, maybe not realizing that's where they're going to find some progress with people is pushing them into that, that uncomfortable state. So many people comment like, God, the kids get so fast at skiing well when they do race club. It's because of the stuff they do, it's the, the the tasks they're given, constantly pushing them. Um, and and, it, and and we can all do the same thing. It's just uh, oh, that was a question I had. Like, it's have you also found that in it's human nature to really avoid un unco- you know these uncomfortable kind of situations? Like that's why a coach is really helpful because doing something that looks silly straight away you probably won't do that. Things that are harder than what you're comfortable doing you straight away avoid that comments on
0: I think I mean I think that's uh, yeah I think you know that's all personal like are you going to push yourself together by yourself are you going to get that rush um and I and I and you know let let me take it back a different way here the past five six years I've tried to learn a different sport every year or two years so I started water skiing, never water skied, never was around boats. Started water skiing. Still, I'm an absolute hack. But the process of trying to water ski is, is, has been really fascinating to learn something totally new. And like right now, my watch, we didn't water ski too much in the last couple of years because we then started a different sport. So we did water ski, then I did a wing, uh, uh windsurfing. And then, uh, then it was foil boarding behind the boat wave. And then, and then I was wing boarding. And, and now it's kind of, Kind of circling back and back in the water skiing a little bit now, and, and right now, like the courage to pull hard through the wave, through the wake, I'm just like, man, no, nah, I'm not going there. So I, I'm like, I need a water ski coach to like coach me some drills to gain that courage. And I'm and I and I'm, I've hit this plateau. Like I'm like, and my son and I are talking about. It. I'm like, he's doing it now, and I'm he's having the same issue. And I'm like, what? And we're, we're we hit a prop wall. So we need a coach to get us through that that part yes um and it's you know that so I see that like you know foil boarding what I was a really interesting one is foil but wing wing foiling is I mean talk about when you finally you just struggle you just struggle 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 and you know what that that you know success is flying and not falling and when you finally do it man the 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 endorphin rush you get is insane. And then you're like, I got to do it again. I got to do it again. But the task is so clear. It's so crystal clear. Fly the foil with the wind. That's it. Yeah. Then it's like, all right, I can do that. But now I got to go upwind. And, and this is the tasker. And all of a sudden you do it. And you're like, all right, well, what's next? All right. The next thing is like, all right, tacking. Tacking left foot, right foot. And like, again, going through that struggle. I might, and i am I'm hit a kind of a wall there. It's like, okay, the, the idea of tacking it's just like I, I, I know I'm going to crash a hundred times, and it's just like I'm not ready for that. So I need a coach to coach me through some kind of progression on it.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right. I think that's I think right. When
0: you, when you talk about skiing, you know, people that ski a lot and they're taking joy. You take joy of skiing, and you take joy of being out on the mountain. And you, you know how how you're going to find that task of where it is that you want to improve in, so you get that rush. And I think that's probably you know the challenge of skiing, and why yes. people push you know push towards you know other sports, other challenges, other other dimensions of yeah. the environment, and that's why a powder day is so much fun.
1: Yeah, I must say this season being being a really bad snow season, it's made me think. Uh, I think that 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 the environment you know growing up skiing in Australia a lot with regular. Conditions being that way, in order to, I mean, it's a beautiful environment, regardless. And skiing is fun, but then spending from nine till four on sugary snow, you know, patches of ice, and then slush like that does kind of wear on you. But like you're learning to tack and all this stuff, adding adding things onto it, knowing that you can, you don't have to go as fast as you're currently going to challenge yourself. You can bring some new skills into it. Like I, I'm just appreciative that I have that mindset. That that's how I can make the most of the day and come away going that was that was so awesome because I couldn't ski. You know, this this season I tried to work on like a, a wiggle turn in the bumps, like being out to on on instead of like between two bumps doing one two turns, doing like four or five turns because there's these this you know the old school bumpers so 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 good at it, but you don't see people doing that anymore it's like i'm just gonna every they like said use every snowflake every time to the lift whatever i'm trying to do fast turns and i'm feeling all these things go wrong like i'm rotating my pelvis around and but by the end of this winter i i, I started to see these cool wiggle turns come in and and i can like pull it i'm like i'm gonna do it there bang 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 and they come out and if i'd had a good season of not great of, of good snow i wouldn't have gone there I wouldn't have had the mindset to 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 build a new skill.
0: Yeah, but how did you build that new skill? You didn't think about how to do it. You just said, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna increase the tempo in this environment, in this constraint." And you know, here's the task, and here's here's the you know what I'm doing. You start out a little bit slower, and all of a sudden you it faster. Yep. And what yep. did you do? You got your body in a better place. You stabilized your upper body. You learned to pivot your feet faster. So which yep. pivot in your feet faster is internal external femur rotation. Your, your shoulders became stable, which allowed your pelvis to stay stable. Those are all the things you probably did. You started to probably use some poles. To exactly.
1: Yeah. 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 The, <laughs> the poles <laughs> is a big one. Like, like I was Absolutely. like, wow, I just do not move them fast enough to move with my feet going that rapid. And I kept getting tripped and whatever. I had that epiphany moment. Oh, and just started. Yeah. But it's yeah. so just, true. It just,
0: it, just, it just, you know, but, just, you know, like to do it faster, if your elbow is here. And you're stiff and your pole plants here, it's so much slower. So you can't do it faster, and all of a sudden you relax this and you just do it with the wrist. wrist. The all this. You do do you da da and 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 now you're in you're in a neutral position. You know, I don't like to correct body positions, but like the one thing that just drives me nuts is 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 this. Yeah. Is, you know, is is, is this internal over internal rotation of the of the of the humerus because it leads to all kinds of tension and so but, you know, you watch mobile skiers. I mean, mogul coaches, people that are really good mogul coaches, I mean, they're amazing at teaching a pole plan. Amazing. Yes. And because they have to be. Because the yeah. pole plant doing it correctly is so critical. We're in skiers. I mean, I wish we would be better at teaching how to, to pole plan. And, you know, how do I learn to pole plan? Is watching watch a mogul coach coach it to an a mogul's out. Yeah. Oh, I lost, lost you it. there. Oh, oh, there we
1: go. Yeah. Back in there. Hey Sasha, to, to wrap this up, perhaps some words of wisdom from you to any of the coaches, instructors listening, if they're inspired by constraints-based learning and your approach of, you know, get get the task to teach it. Yeah, could you could you put that in a in a neat summary of like the tips? Say this is your this is your building that you've just spoken to the instructors across North America. And it's like right. Yeah. Okay. From now on, as you got when you go out and, and you teach and you coach, please remember this.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I think a lot of it is 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 first when you let's just talk about from like an instructor based point of view is just I think this is what instructors do really well is they 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 create a relationship with the student with the you know the 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 the, uh, the client, and I think this is something that instructors do well is they understand where that client is and where they want to take them. Uh, but I think really I would just encourage that have that discussion on what okay what is the thing you want to be able to do, and then look at it from you know kind of a a basics of skiing perspective of what they need to do, not from a technical perspective. And I think most instruction of most sports it's really from a technical perspective. And I would encourage is is, is look at look at the sport and go like you know you know you have a skier that's a good. Good skier can ski blocks, but now wants to be able to go ski crud off-piste. So, the skill set that they're really probably not lacking is is the ability to to unweight the skis and weight the skis. You know, so what are the things that we need to do to be able to do that? Well, pole plants help. Flexion extension is going to help. Um, you know, okay, so those are, let's, let's play. Let's give those conceptions to it so that they can play in that off, in that crud snow. Or if you know you have a good you have a good ski and you want to they all of a sudden want to start to ski some steep couloirs go okay you know the task that they're going to have to do is like we talked about earlier in the podcast is just you know having that upper and lower body separation so let's go do some drills for upper and lower body separation explain to them why that's important for skiing steeps and then kind of progressing that way um, instead of saying you know here's the here's the technical way to do it you know, find yes. find what are they where are they at what do they want to do and see what what kind of Fundamentals of the sport or skills of the sport they they need to kind of progress in. Let's go try to be creative and figure out how to give them those skills so that they learn it.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I was just thinking there too. You're lucky when you have a season to work with, say your athletes. It puts you in a mindset of of like you've got time, and so you maybe don't feel pressured to like deliver everything and. Speak technical, technical, whatever you can set up like a game uh, to get going to this. I think sounds like even what your, your your recommendation there, that would be a good mindset to think about too, is just, you don't have to think about it being all achieved in this one single like lesson of the day. If we're speaking to instructors, like you said, people might not ski, as you said, that a day of one ski skiing and hopping over poles. They go back skiing, it's gonna be a couple of months' time after they're playing with that. You just start seeing, whoa, look how athletic they were on that rollover. Did not matter that they couldn't find their outside ski because they were on the inside, boom, perfect position, found the outside and came from sort of these uh this earlier training. So yeah, I love it. Any other any other final thing on uh do you want to remind people of the of the constraints based kind of principles? To play with, even if self learners, you know, going to
0: go out. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just you, you, your environment, whatever environment you're in, is going to shape how you move. So, you know, think about, you know, whatever, whatever, if you, if you grow up as a skier skiing ice, for example, you're going to have a very good athletic weight transfer from right from outside ski to outside ski. But if you ski super grippy, Colorado snow you don't need to transfer your weight because as soon as you tip the skis on it the, the weight's transferred for you so the environment shapes how you develop as a as, a, as an athlete as a person um, and those that environment can be you know the snow the mountain the hill the speed you ski at the whether you ski short swing turns long turns um, what kind of equipment you ski you know those things are always going to shape how your movement patterns develop and how you express yourself. And we are, we are all athletic in some ways and the the human body is amazing how it will learn. Some will learn faster than others, but how it will learn and adapt to the environment that you've exposed it to. So, you know, if an athlete, if you, you know, why you know, someone who skis with very aggressive boots, can't it out. They can learn to get down the mountain and have fun. But they're going to do something funky with their hip. They're going to rotate their shoulders and do something funky that we, as classic instructors, go, "That's wrong." But they have to do it because they can't internally, internally rotate the femur and pronate the foot. So they're going to do something else because that's the constraint that they have learned to move with. So that's why you know I start out with is this, this neutral equipment as you can, and put them in variety of environments. And change those environments up, change those tempos up, create more variability. And what's going to happen is, is you're going to create an athlete that's balanced, and they can adapt. And I yeah. think that really is what we want: is we want we want skiers that can express themselves in, you know, really bad snow, really crumbly snow, really golf bally snow, really icy, uh, beautiful powder day that they can go express themselves. And that's like, you know, one of the one of the biggest frustrations I have as a ski coach is, you know, you, you get these great ski racers and you have a bluebird powder day. And they can't they can't get down the mountain fast because they've never skied it. And and it's just they that they didn't have that constraint. And so yeah. to me that's you know like you expose them to a lot of different things. Um expose yourselves to different things and, and, and wherever you find that challenge start to think about okay why is this a challenge and then go okay how can i further constrain myself and give a certain task or rhythm or a tempo that's going to make me learn to move correctly without thinking uh too much about it because that slows down
1: yeah awesome thanks very much
0: hey well i've really thanks. appreciated
1: that yeah i've really appreciated the chat i mean you've got so much experience in in coaching and and hearing the way you you speak about all these things is it's very inspiring i'm already i'm I'm ready to go and it's you know we've (laughs) still got a couple more weeks in this aussie season and so uh if if people are out there and and they are make the most of it don't be disheartened by the conditions this is your chance to be masterful in this variety of so it's going to pay off Absolutely,
0: absolutely. If you have fun on, if you have fun in in tough conditions, you are going to have fun, more fun when it when it gets when it gets those amazing days. So, thanks (laughs) so much, Tom. Appreciate the opportunity. And uh, my pleasure. Have yourself a great one.
1: You too. Some of you may already know that I've been advising Carve and working with the team for some time now, and this year the team has come up with probably some of the most exciting developments to date. They've been working on representing the most fun parts of skiing in their system. They've developed three brand new metrics, progressive edging, early weight transfer and one that measures the G-force in a turn. And that one I have to say I got to try it out this winter in Australia and that is really fun. This new addition is going to be incredible for anyone who's looking to really push their skiing up a notch. Now what's even more interesting for this year is the system now detects what terrain you're on and pulls that into your Ski IQ score. This is a huge change and a great upgrade because sometimes it would only really score well if you were skiing on perfectly groomed snow. Now it's going to accommodate and adjust whether you're skiing in steeper slopes, more chopped up snow or firmer snow. So this is a very big change that I think is massive kudos to the team to keep pushing and progressing the app even further. If you're the kind of skier that is looking for a tool to help push your technique that little bit further, then you should definitely check out what Carve can do. Use the code GELLIE15, that's G-E-L-L-I-E-1-5, to get 15% off for the next two weeks.